Amy Salt sat down with director Tony Giordano, set designer Hugh Landwehr, and actors Michael Fischetti, Diane Martella, and Jennifer Van Dyke for a symposium on A View from the Bridge in December of 1986. Hello, I'm SDC director-choreographer Edie Cowan, and you are listening to Masters of the Stage. This program is produced by the Stage Directors and Choreographers Foundation and presented by the SDCF and the American Theatre Wing. The SDCF has released these archives in an effort to further education regarding the crafts of direction and choreography. Because this program was not initially recorded for the purpose of broadcast, it is not of the highest technical quality. Portions of the conversation may have been edited to improve the overall quality of the broadcast. This is, uh, I guess, as you know, to talk about this, these productions or this production of *Beauty uh, Bridge* that is touring around the snow country. Um, and this is Tony Giordano, uh, and uh, Michael Fischetti is playing Eddie. And Diane Martell has been here. That's you. And Hugh Landwehr, who designed the set. Set. Um, I guess the first question is um, how this all came about and why it all came about. Um, um, Michael, Fischetti, and myself were working last, um, about 13 months ago, in Syracuse State with this Blend Gary. And Hugh Landwehr designed that set, so did Dennis Parrish, who did the lights, who did the lights on this show. Um, and on opening night, it happened to have been an extraordinarily successful version of that play. The producer, orchestra, was very excited about it. And he came at different times that evening to both Michael and myself, and asked each of us what we would do to come back the following season to serve the stage. Because he didn't know that during rehearsal of Glengarry, we often leaned over to each other and said, isn't it a shame doing all this work on Glengarry and it's not a view from the bridge? So when he asked us on opening night what we would do to come back, we each individually said, you from the bridge with Michael Fischetti, and he said, you from the bridge with Tony Perdon. So we kind of had them set up for it. We didn't plan on it that way, but uh, then Arthur, a couple of weeks later, called me and said, would you do the show uh, co-produced by other theaters which you put that much effort and time off for it. I said, I would rather do it just at Syracuse stage, but I certainly think it's a good idea to co-produce the show. I just think it's a lot of effort and a lot of work. And if we really take the time to do it well, I would certainly do that. Mm -hmm. And um, the, the other theaters were all From that day on, in other words, what Arthur did after he spoke with me was he had Jim Clark, his managing director, and himself talk to other theaters to find out how many would be interested in working together on co-production with Michael. And then, what, how was the design team decided? Well, the design team, particularly Hugh and Dennis, had both done Glen Gary, and also I worked as often as Hugh and Dennis to work with me according to their schedule, so that's how that was decided. We then didn't have the money to bring in the costume designer of my particular choice, so that was the compromise. Um, 
everything was new with this project because naturally we were all trying to figure out what kind of contract do you use when you're going to be involved in the short shooting thing. Very busy with the show. It's not like a design that just goes out. He has had to design a set for four different spaces that are very different, one from another, particularly the openings. And uh, has been at just several of those openings for Well, that was my, my next question is really just like, what do you do? Like, how do the theaters differ and how do the theaters differ? Well, they're all, uh, three of them are different, they're similar. The open spaces are small. The Buffalo space, Geneva, Manchester, and Syracuse stage are close to being perceived setups. They all are relatively shallow stages with little center thrust arrangements in the center. Geneva is the widest of the feet wide, Syracuse is about three feet. Buffalo is similar to Syracuse and width. Syracuse is the deepest. Geneva and Buffalo Find a set that would fit in plan in all those spaces. Heights also vary somewhat. Um, three that are somewhat the Buffalo space is the lowest, or I should say, it's not that it's the lowest, it gives the impression of being the lowest because the orientation of the audience to the theater of the audience fans uh, out a good deal and then down into the space and where it's not true and the series where there's more sense of perceiving the audience looking up into the movie. Albany is very different from those three. Albany is a small theater squeezed into a parking garage with about a 17 foot ceiling. And uh, two poles. And two poles. <laughs> right about the next <laughs> And um, it, it's very difficult. It's impossible, actually, to put all of the scenery that we have here because of the we create some fact when that happens to occur. But otherwise, we take the whole environment to the scene. It's going to be quite different for the actors. But uh, I think interesting. Interesting to do it. But it's, it sounds concept, conceptually completely. Especially uh, it is conceptually all this. We're trying to make all the same things. There's somewhat less money in it. So the concept is completely different. Say that the the platforms can't be fit. Yeah, yeah, essentially. Uh, it, it, it was serendipitous, but the same platform, which looks pretty much the same in those three other theaters, just happens to fit with the firehouse of the firehouse, which is a pretty good address there. When you didn't design it specifically, it does. I mean, I would have changed it if it didn't. So that at least we would have carried that through, or I would have figured out a way to modify that same platform so that we maybe remove this one. So it's pretty tight there already, though. So we're trying to do that. How did you arrive at the value of the value of the value of the value of the value I did it in a totally mechanical way. I drew all the ground, I put it in a scale, and 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 I put it in a
I took the smallest depth and the smallest width and tried to make the set fit to In the case of Buffalo, because it was our first stop, it happened that there were more modifications than I wanted to do to rather than standardize. So Buffalo was putting pieces that made Buffalo, we had to take out uh, seats, but enough to get the, the diamond shape of, of the set to fit within the seat. Buffalo has a very peculiar thrust situation in that its thrust sort of makes a sort of almost round dip into the room. It's very hard, especially to get actors into that space and out of it. We tried, first of all, when we talked to avoid that. The first thing we did really was just talk about the play, which is how we usually work, and the style and what we try and contain and the feelings in it, how much of it we really, in fact, uh, uh, attention had to go to the form of the play, which was Miller's conceit that there was a tragedy at this place versus the uh, detail of the play, the action, which is a personal family drama taking place, and how much of those two, and then it's a multi-set problem, touring that uh, becomes a very difficult thing. So we conceptually said, let's assume that we have all the money in the world, and we're working only one theater, and that theater was whatever we would choose to think of the favorite theater in the world. How would we do the play? And we came up with this concept the details of how to make it work happened when you got up a plane and went to all four theaters. And I knew, I knew two of the four of them, and the other two, when you traveled to the mind of the show, I couldn't So then I worked with him just from the ideas that he brought back and forth on. Well, he mentioned something that's interesting, and that is the set was exactly the same in Buffalo as it was in Syracuse, and yet something that's uniquely interesting is that the show played totally differently. And it's correct that the set is the exact same thing, but we're just talking about space is kind of interesting. Uh, Syracuse, Buffalo has a feeling of being uh, removed. You said the audience is looking at it, but not only are they looking at it and it's down below, but there is a feeling that it just keeps going beyond you. And so the actors have to work very hard or feel that you have to work very hard to reach out. You don't really have to work quite as hard, but it's hard to tell. The moment we arrived in Syracuse and walked into the theater, at least for me, and saw the exact same set, I said, oh, well, we're at home, man. Because it's right there. It's presented for you. It's on a proscenium, slight thrust. It's framed. It doesn't give you that feeling that it's out there versus the audience. Also, the Syracuse stage has a balcony. This great sense of intimacy. And the very first note I gave the actors, they had run it for a month in Buffalo without my being there, was you're all screaming and pushing, and the show was taken on a very harsh feeling. When we opened in Buffalo, it felt warmer to me. And I don't know what happened through the whole month. I only know what happened the first time I saw it a month later. And it was that feeling that they were still having to 
make so much happen, uh, right through maybe the Buffalo audience, I don't know, but certainly <laughs> the Buffalo space. Whereas in Syracuse, within one night, we made that adjustment on the injection center. I said, you, all you have to do is speak to each other, just relax, just allow the play and yourselves to take over. We may have even gone a little too far in the attack during Syracuse because we're so comfortable. It's a, it's a kind of problem to see what the design Many of these spaces were, you know, built on the model of the Guthrie originally, and the three-foot thrust was you know, much touted. The idea about a space in which to create a regional theater, and uh, having worked now for 12, 15 years in these spaces, I can tell you that the so-called intimacy of seeing the actors up close square. I would exchange it an instant for the very clear relationship. Everybody had seen what you were seeing. I think that relationship is clear, versatile, and can be made to do any sort of what is. For us, there are always problems clear. We, with the exception of all that, are not in a pre quarter thrust situation. I've got some thrust, some people call it deep hatred situation, but that accounts for the change in terms. In Buffalo, it's very deep. This is Jennifer Van Dyke, who plays Catherine in the movie. She was going to make this roundtable she got in from the evening this morning, and obviously, she's done it. She's done it. Um, sorry. Amy? Amy Saltz? Um, I was wondering, with the, the actors, would you like to talk a little bit about the experience of playing in those different stories? We've only played in two. You've been in Syracuse and Buffalo? And what it, what's in the difference in Buffalo is close to Canada. <laughs> <laughs> I think, is it? Have you had to adjust yeah. in terms of the size of performance? Or yeah, Buffalo is strange. It's an uncomfortable stage. It just feels like it's going on. It's hard to stage around the place. It's a, you have a lot of public fights and you can just have a cut and have a rich idea of you know, somebody else going to miss us to see. Whereas in Syracuse, we've not played over before, Syracuse is much better. This, this space, I feel the most is all me. I really got to show I don't like what's going on. I don't like people looking down at people. You know, the hot operation or something, you know, when they're looking down. I don't like that. I like it. Yeah, it's a small space, really, like this. I remember that it's... No, it's not that, it's just it, it feels uncomfortable. I'd rather have... You see, the other two spaces are almost the same. Syracuse, I think, and Gibra, and Joseph, right? Now, I, Syracuse, I think, is the best thing. Uh, Albany presents quite a lot. So I don't know this It would be interesting. And I don't think it's any problem. I mean, it's just a... Just the good thing about it is you keep on changing, and I think the great thing about doing it for this amount of time, as well as the most boring thing sometimes you know, it's been, is that you do have the chance to change the overlap. And you know, in Syracuse, the last few performances, I was talking to Jennifer about this, when we had done the last performance, there were things that changed, and left the conscious response and new things, and soon we found that makes me very happy. I, I feel that they're right. More like than you've ever been. So in Syracuse, Albany will be different because it's, it's going to be really 
torn down again because it's still in the seats. It'd be interesting if you find new values or new foods, whichever. And then you take it to a big stage again. I wish we had started in on the smaller stage and walk up and say, oh, and it's like this, it's all over the place. Where are we in the Halfway, halfway. And what is the time Not much. This was the longest we had. We almost four weeks. This is the Christmas layoff. Christmas. Oh. But normally speaking, it's just a few days and then a movement to the next town, tech, previews, and opening. Uh, the, the marvelous thing about Syracuse, for me as a director, uh, you always hope when you do a show that there's a chance uh, to do more work on it. Whenever I'm back in my apartment in New York, I can't have the chance, you know, I think that that second act could have worked better or something. Not just this play, but anything I've ever directed. Normally speaking, it's somewhere a plane distance away and you never get to see it again. And when it's all over, actors contact you and they say, it's a good thing you didn't see it because it all either fell apart or changed or they say, boy, after you left, it really worked. Uh, really got I have never tended to believe either of those things fully. Um, this was overwhelming to me to see a show that I had worked so hard on. We only had three weeks in Buffalo, but a very short rehearsal period for this play. And we had a lot of rehearsal problems. We had people who had had other commitments and had to leave for like a whole week for a movie, two of them, etc. So we had troubles. Then we had two previews, and the theater had managed to arrange the first day of previews so that I couldn't rehearse. They had a kid's matinee in the morning that I'd been told was a rehearsal. All of a sudden it turned out to be a performance and an evening performance that allowed me no notes. Fortunately, we were all very close and Naturally, we went out late and we were able to share notes. So we had a, a real rush job in Buffalo, and then the cast for a month did what they could do to uh, understand the play and the space and all that sort of stuff. Now we got to Syracuse, and all of a sudden I had a terrific situation, a week and a half to tech and preview the show. There were five preview days with rehearsals every day in Syracuse. And I wanted to take the show to a whole different level. I wanted to make it warmer, more, more vulnerable. I wanted to find an easier entrance for the audience into the play. And that's what I did in Syracuse. And by opening night, I was happy that certainly the cast were doing everything that we had tried to do, and I was happy that everything we tried to do was working. I still felt, however, there was something missing. And I'm looking forward, I'm, I know it might have been certainly as a performer in all but because of the progression of what I'm learning both about the play and the production, I'm very excited about all that because I have learned certain things now even about the play that I didn't know before. I'm hoping to incorporate that in here. Did you have the circus? Sure, we had several days of just tech and the tech, we have uh, a situation where Hugh was in Syracuse solving the, the set problems, Dennis was there doing the lights, Barbara Beeching is our stage manager. She solves 50 million kinds of problems on this tour on a continual basis. So I really had nothing but rehearsal time. Michael uh, and I literally worked at a complete, total transformation of Eddie Carbone just a couple of days. And then that affects equally well everybody else in the show because he's such a simple figure to play. Creative and very exciting. But again, I constantly was looking for that that feeling, that reward at the end of the evening, that it all added up to something, that it was in fact Miller's tragedy. 
And uh, I came to the understanding in the opening night and since then from Syracuse that it is not a tragedy and that it cannot be a tragedy. It has a flaw to it and that's not a complaint. I'm happy to know about that flaw. I may be able to solve some of that. But that the very thing I was trying to get it to do, it will never do unless I find some sort of a trick way to do it. It's just a missing scene in the second act to witness the struggle of Eddie Carbone before he betrays 3,000 years of tradition. There is no scene. From the moment he finds out from Alfieri that the lawyer and the law can do nothing to help Eddie stop Catherine from marrying Rodolfo, from that second, there's not even a line. He literally walks out of the office and he goes and makes a phone call and he betrays. Well, right there, you feel, as an audience member, confused. You're not sure. Do you love this guy? Do you think that you love him up until that point? Do you now root that he gets caught? What happens? It becomes a second act of some sort of confusion. And I think great tragedy is really built on our witnessing the hero struggle very hard not to fall into the tragic flaw and have to do it for some obsessive reason. And here, the play has everything but that scene. Now, there may be little ways Michael and I have been talking since they're all back from Syracuse, and I think that there is another step to be taken to get to that. So for me, it's not that I don't care about the space in Albany, it's just that, to me, it's a third chance to get to this next step. And I think it's fabulous we're going to a small space where it won't be about trying to figure out how to project. It will be easier. You know, we know how to do the show and we know how to do the scene. That's not the problem. I wonder how much the, uh, the size of the, of the house influences the different things that you are able to work on or, or focus on while, I'd say, during the course of for a month in, in Syracuse or a month in Ireland. Well, I just do it because I'm going to do different things. I've played big house I've done 50 times. <laughs> Five inches, a small house. I'm the one who's doing it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do it for him. It's very good. It's a very good Studio ring. Do you, do you, do you want to say anything about the differences in, in playing those cities or at those theaters? Space, maybe the size of the theater. We must be different things to play that needs a slight clarification because actually the set and the furniture is meant to be the same but what she's referring to that even Q doesn't know is that, <laughs> is that in Buffalo, because of the width of the audience, the position of the furniture was further upstage on this great diamond-shaped platform. When we got to Syracuse, I was able to proportion it all better so that they could relate to each other better. The trouble they had in Buffalo is... Um, I had Michael in a chair stage right of this platform and the table was all the way up left and the buffet is intended to be up center. But the result was that he was constantly having to talk to very many people on very strange angles. But it was the only way to get the enormous amount of uh, audience to work. Now in Syracuse, that audience pulls in this way. So immediately you can relate to it. Everything in Syracuse works better. Don't ever go to Buffalo. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
Jennifer, how does the space feel different to you? It's one of my reasons to be It's like if you do a wrong thing, you go back to your memory, it changes, and life changes, and change. So 
that's the most exciting part. Mm-hmm. If it wasn't for that, then why would people do it? It's an opportunity to get to play with each other. I am has played Lucas before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really am a master. <laughs> <laughs> I did it in Cincinnati five, six years ago. Is this different? Well, yeah, it's different in a lot of ways. I mean, obviously, it's different. It's not probably the past. The other director was quite good, also, but we had some past problems that were just in Cincinnati. Maybe they quit or we A replacement that was 10 years too young to be the part, and then we had those kind of problems in Cincinnati that didn't really appear. Both of them were rather interesting experiences. I think I prefer this one. Cincinnati was short though. Um, so maybe I'll have the same question about how involved you are with each spot, each of the openings and taking on this commitment and doing all these. Well, the, originally, because no, this day was really they seem not to be as a tool as a shared They seem not quite to know how to involve me over time. And what I said was that the opportunity was to say, so much. And I know the play, I've done it longer than before. But they didn't quite know how to set up my continuing commitment. So what we agreed on was that as time is available, we would come to the location. So far, that's what we have. So we have to use it as a technique. Strictly technically, there's a lack which I think those theaters need to address in the future. That is, there is a show that goes with this constant process. What happens now is that the show one theater, the upcoming TD, which is where it comes and sees it being taken down, tries to get to work that way, and then puts it on its own stretch. And in Syracuse, that worked out okay, but then we still need adjustments. Yeah, well, the problem with touring scenery is that 
depending on who's handling it. Regional theater, theater should be better in theory because these scopes are there because they want to be able to do a good Whereas the LA Downs would not be a nice theater, maybe there because it's a call in the morning, you know. And, uh, I it, certainly, it certainly was built quite fun for me. It's Yes, we want, the, in Albany a year ago, let's see how this works, a year ago in the spring, Michael Fischetti and myself went to Albany to meet with all of the managing directors and some of the artistic directors at that time. And uh, I think every, all the artistic directors were there except for directors. And we sat down for uh, several hours and went through very detail about what was going on and the proceedings. That was before you arrived at the Oh, yeah. Tony had because of my, because I was not sure what he was saying. I thought I had to get it. We had talked, actually. Right. But, uh, but I was afraid of that. And then did you eventually, once you decided on what you wanted to do, you decided, did you have to present it to all of them? Or? Yeah, yeah. When was that? Well, when you, when you and I worked, we worked privately for a while. And then I think what happened was the audition could take place in New York City. And the varying artistic directors, some of them were, some or all of them, I can't remember, were at the final callback. And then there was a production meeting that followed those editions in which you came in with the um, model mm -hmm. on the forefront. Now, they said nobody did anything, really. They just were very happy. Somehow they just thought it was very good. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, very strange. I don't know what they whether they were holding back or... There might be an advantage in having four artistic directors and four managing directors, but they never know what the other is thinking at those meetings, you know? And they're not sure why the others are being silent. So, <laughs> but certainly... Were the expenses on the production shared? Yes. The, uh, the co-producers uh, have assumed... A First of all, these, this production is underwritten in very large part by Citibank upstate New York. This is a very special production in which they got an outside corporation to put money up in addition to the theaters. And uh, whatever Citibank hasn't paid for, the others have. Um, yeah. I just curious because I believe you said there was a set. Yeah. schedule was, we made it clear to collective producers that there was going to be adaptation necessary for Albany, and uh, that we had to know what the extent of it would be, and there's been quite a delay in finding out what the end results of the budget were in Buffalo and subsequently, and uh, also a delay in 
therefore we started to design those adaptations, although by and large they're pretty much what we thought they would be arms, but only a little tiny one thing. So there's been additional expense. Um, I'm unable to say in what spirit that's been created by any of the theories uh, and who is splitting up that. Um, my suspicion is that a small part of it will be willing to take to play exclusively and that the other theaters will play the remains of what those proportions are. But there is new construction, that's correct. Right. I don't think so. I think what they did was they found out what the total cost would be and divided it into four pieces. I'm assuming that the Albany situation is just so unique because the set, no set could fit in all four spaces. And I think deep down psychologically, I'm only guessing, that the other three theaters took a kind of a, an attitude that was Albany's problem. Hugh and, and I have been reasonably helpful, I think, to Albany in trying to get everybody to understand that it's a drone project. There, there are two different kinds of costs, too, that you get. One is to actually make physical production and to do the pre-production work. And that you can, you can assign people among the theaters. And as I understand what happened here, the theaters are all in different work categories between the actors are working in different environments, so that the pace development would be smaller. No, that's not true. No, I mean, everyone does the may be the same throughout the tour. Uh, is it all being small? It's different. It's different. Each theater is a different pay scale. No, no, but not the way he's referring to it. The pay scale, because the actors are making a commitment of six months, is that with each theater they get an additional amount of money per week, not less. In other words, they're going no, to all I'm not talking about less. I'm talking about the actual numbers. But they're not working more than minimum. Buffalo, the actors actually got less per week there than they will get 
during January in Albany. And somehow that has been coordinated by the producers and city bank. That's what I'm trying to say. Why Well, of course, just private corporation. They got sponsored by people who were able to put up a certain amount of money for the store. This has been treated as a very special attempt to find a way to make theater run differently. Instead of representing now, I get less in Albany than in any other theater, um, interestingly enough. Sometimes you accept. Right, right. No, I get less. That's just the argument. Much less in Albany, I might Because it's shared. I don't think that there is such an enormous savings in doing this tour for the theater. There is some. And I'll tell you what I think maybe some of the savings are. Instead of four rehearsal periods, there is obviously only one. Instead of all of the time and effort for four theaters to originate a production, to work out of New York casting circumstances and pay those bills, to search for directors and designers and have all those extra meetings, is really only one. So certainly there's a, a, a savings. But then a set travels and you're adding money immediately to that. In every other way, almost every other bill remains the same that they would have had. When I got together with all four of the theaters, I asked them not to do this to save money. I said, let's do this to find a more creative, exciting way to take a complex play and work on it. Let's do it in terms of quality and not be trying to be stingy in every way. And hopefully that's sort of I don't think that they're saving oodles and oodles of money, but nevertheless, they're saving energy and professional creative work. In the past, theaters in one state have often said, oh, they're doing you from the bridge in Buffalo. Well, we'll do you from the bridge and show them all. There's a lot of competition instead of communication and working together. And one of the hardest things about this whole job from beginning to end, I tell you the truth, I've been at it since we finished Glen Gary 14 months ago. I've been at this job. I mean, regularly, several days a week. No matter where I've been directing plays, I've been on the phone in one way or another over this situation. Because it does require a lot of communication, a lot, in order for it to be efficient, you have to spend a lot of time making certain that each of the four managing directors are saying the same thing. Each of the four artistic directors are saying the same thing. I found that after months of not double-checking that something I was saying to one, but I thought was being carried over, it wasn't. So we've all been learning a great deal about how to work together to make such a project happen. And I'll, that's a part of the other two. This is the very first time. I think it's the first time they've done anything with a play. As Hugh mentioned before, three of these four theaters the year before had a production of Ain't Misbehaving. I don't know if they co-produced it in advance, or one of them did it and then the others picked it up. Things have transferred all around America for years. But to start fresh on that opening night of Glengarry, Michael and I just to simply said we want to come back and do View from the Bridge. And from then on, they co-produced the show. And they're doing, I basically say there are lots of little problems, but I think they're doing a very good job. I'd like to say that uh, one of the reasons that we have this Uh, and touring uh, makes the building a new contract that we have. 
to do something like this, and this is the first time that it's played, that we're aware of, has actually been started, organized, and has uh, had a tour that's been scheduled for uh, four years. It's a really important uh, initiative. We hope basically the theaters all over America are looking at this. And one of the, the most important things for me, if this was going to work, you Rigo always said you want something that is quality. You know, I don't really care if the show fully succeeds or doesn't succeed as long as there is a quality attempt at trying to make it work. But I felt, and we have the very finest collaborators on this show. Amy already, interestingly, noted it. Really, the kind of actors and the type of designers that are here. But one of the things that I think uh, causes a show like this to work is that level of professionalism. And if all over America they would stop putting their efforts together, remember there are 88 regional launch theaters throughout the American states that do their own shows all year long. If they would begin to combine, and we're kind of showing them how to do it, uh, and take the time to really develop the show. Maybe we'll come up with something. In the 40s, this was done all the time. Before all of these theaters existed, theater was done this way. Theater is going out to people. Theater is developing a show. Theater is finding out how to make it better or what the works are. And we have this great opportunity, I think, to do anything. And the hardest part of it, I think, really are the actors having to make such a long commitment um, they seem to be doing extremely well with the psychological aspect of that and the creative aspect of that. But it's a long stretch to be staying in these small communities where there aren't that many things to do during the week other than their own show. You know. Can I ask a question about that? Uh, for the actors, uh, is it, I, I'm, I'm trying to say a lot of We've talked about some We've had a few events talking about maintaining the quality production for long run, long, long shows. But um, we had a commitment to be uh, in front central in various places. And how, how is that different? I've been in that experience being in the same role in one place. How is it different moving from place to place audience to audience? Five months, one place, one month at a time. I don't really have those kind of problems. The problems come in living circumstances. And, uh, what makes you so unhappy about being away from home? The, the fact that the director comes back after a period of time, does that make a difference to you? Oh, I like that. Well, first of all, because we have a rehearsal period and we can change things. So we get to work on the show. That makes it more fun. So we like to but yes, it does make
not necessarily that clear, but we are really aware so that it's, it's very exciting to me to have a chance to first see what these places the initial initial experience was really a whole new part of being because getting from this place that we, you know, just the fact that we're all readjusting to readjusting, you know, a whole sort of pattern that you were sat in the ritual in the night, for all of a sudden not to be whatever it is. So that sort of group is involved in the really of the introduction. You can sort of settle into not what's going on before, but it just keeps shifting. The and then it's considered it's such a fast run that by the about the second week, the last year, you're going up to close down again. You know what I mean? So, and that immediately is about things now. So you know you're under what seems to last time. You know, whatever it does to you, it does to I did that once. It was my first job out of graduate school. It was an 11-month tour where I played Rodrigo in Othello for 11 months. One night was all over the United States and Europe. And by the time we got to Europe, not one member of the company spoke to any other member. <laughs> I can honestly say that I almost got killed in the streets of Stuttgart just trying to get to the other side so I wouldn't see people I knew coming down the block. Um, there, those tensions occur because you're traveling. It's just too much pressure. Um, what Jennifer was talking about, however, those shifts that took place, for instance, from Buffalo to Syracuse, I don't know what shifts took place after I left Syracuse, by the way. But um, what, what's most interesting about it, even what I saw when I first arrived in Syracuse, and I wasn't happy, I felt what had permeated the show was a tension and it was sort of a negative, a, a frustration more than anything else. And as I said to you earlier, I warmed that up a great deal. I changed that completely, and by the opening Syracuse, that's what was reflected. Now, I can honestly tell you, I don't think any of that has yet fully worked. I think that... Uh, when I saw the tension that those people had and I tried to cure it, I also could sit back and say, and I will say this publicly, these three actors are inordinately professional in addition to being creative and talented. So if in the material they're finding that kind of tension, then my taking all of it away is not necessarily the perfect solution. It's nearly the other extreme. It's, I wanted to see what happened with the material in the play in front of an audience going the opposite way. But I never necessarily thought they were wrong or bad. It was more curious to me as to how performing the show for a month caused that to happen. And since Syracuse, I feel that... Uh, I have a strange feeling that Albany would be a very strange combination of Buffalo and Syracuse, and maybe a very successful because I'm beginning to understand that there is a melodramatic tension in the show. And very often when I was rehearsing it, I was rehearsing it as if I was doing a bit of check-up. And it's just not there. At least if we do anything, you throw out an idea with the three of them, you have no idea what comes up in the next 20 minutes. It's overwhelming. Because they will take any creative idea and make it work. But I, I really feel that a lot of the problem is my having to know how to decide what will make this play work the best. 
I keep saying this at this meeting, I haven't yet found it. And one of the greatest, this is probably the best opportunity I've ever had in my whole career, to have some professional people who can collaborate with you during this progress and to take a play that has always had some problems. Given the bridge has never been without its difficulties in its lifetime. Fabulous play, that one character is a great situation and has this whole feeling that it's meant to be a classical drama and all that sort of stuff. And uh, yet it has never fully had the kind of life you expect in such an event. And I'm struggling like mad with it. But uh, I'm looking forward to the next two openings because of that. I'd be really scared to death that these two people might get threatened. <laughs> knowing that I would have you know, called me on a regular basis and said he's leaving for Paris. <laughs> I'm no longer taking his call. <laughs> Sorry, I'm mean, too probably... I have a question for the three actors on that, the after about the tragic situation. You do read it and you read it. How did that change? Did it change the way you started to work? Yeah, I think that's a pretty good strategy. It's not tragic. I mean, play, the more I play, the more tragic. Now, that whole setup from Marilyn woke you up into this false tragedy and sent from the city and all that nonsense, that pseudo-poetry. And what happens is if you go with that, that this, it, it somehow seeps into your mind that this is a great, great tragic event. I think you lose the play. And I think now we're on to something that has disregarded that. We just forget about it. All that nonsense about it being done. It's a sad thing. The only sad thing is about the end, it's not tragedy day. Guys, this is a sad thing. The guy is basically a good man, provides for the family, he goes around with whatever you want to call it, too much love and obsession. And he winds up dead on the street. That's a sad event for me to make To make it a tragedy, oh, it's good to suck. I mean, that's classical drama, it doesn't have a size to see. The problem with reviewers, when they review it, they get out of town sometimes and say, well, you know, this is like King Lear or something. Like that is bizarre. So they were all up front because they all went, you know, to the university and they read about the play. That's a tragedy. It's a problem, though. It's just the play is just one of the confusions. It's a confused man. You never know where he's going. That's all. Why do you think you were so intent on that? Because he wanted to do an exercise. It's an intellectual thing. He wanted to make a Greek play. There's nothing wrong with that, but what? I don't know if he called it. Uh, there, so. That's a tragedy that he called it an existential tragedy. That's already a tragedy. You're in a lot of trouble. But if you keep away from that, you find new things that are really very nice. What, what does he mean by tragedy? Is he talking about inevitability? I think he is. It's because he sets up the Greek chorus without the error. It's the Greek chorus. It's why you want to say Tiresias, you know, whoever. And that's, that's a trap because it's not a good not that kind of a writer. We take it very seriously. It's, it's a very good writer. But it's naturalistic writer. I think if you take that, in fact, we were kidding around one time to cut all the out there speeches. Because they, some of them are really very strange. They set that up. Yeah, he comes in at the very beginning of the play. He sets up the audience right away, like 10,000 years ago. And we get into a lot of problems. Now the, the audience expects something. It's patient, It prepares an audience for a form that Miller was very interested in. What I discovered with the view from the bridge is that he has a tragic form in his play. 
and he doesn't have unity of time, uh, but he has almost everything else that the classic Greek tragedy had literarily. But dramatically, Miller, as Alfieri, is always sitting above the actual drama that's taking place and never fully enters it. Whereas in a Greek tragedy, the action that occurs is 100% connected to the lives of the people even in the chorus. In Oedipus Rex, which Euclid the Bridge is practically a carbon copy of, form-wise, the chorus are made up of the uh, people from Thebes. They are part of a play. They are suffering. If Oedipus doesn't solve as king his problem of facing himself and seeing the truth of whatever is wrong, since he's causing the play, they will all suffer and die, both because they lose a king and because he's not helping to solve the purpose and thieves. So connected. None of that is true in this play. Miller never entered the play. So what he did was he took... I once asked him when he was at the O'Neill many years ago about this particular play. I've always wanted to direct the play. And one of the greatest errors I made, and it's a fascinating error as a director, if this play was new and it was sent to me a couple of a year ago to direct on this tour, I would have read it very carefully and noticed that little scene that was missing. Instead, because I have had a childhood desire to direct this play, I assumed that it totally worked. And therefore I presented it in Buffalo as if it worked. It was a presentation. It was as it was as much pretentious as Miller's form of tragedy, basically. Then when I got to Syracuse, I attempted to work even harder to make that work by making the vulnerability and the lofty struggle greater in Eddie Carbono. And again, I sat back on opening and said, well, everybody on stage is doing everything I want done, but this is not really working. And since then, I really understood why it cannot be. So as I said, you make an assumption and you go and you direct that assumption. But now that I know that this error exists, it hasn't caused me to lose interest in the play. I still love these people. I still love the situation. But Miller has, in a way, every right to have tried to write it as tragedy because he has everything but the great dramatic dilemma in it, as I mentioned to you. He has uh, a moral problem. He has the confusion of a very good leading character. He has the neighborhood who are affected by the betrayal that the leading character takes. He's copied well classical theater, and to have been the only American writer to come so close even to the form, I think is considerable. I think it's very exciting in regional theater that we're all grappling with this play, and the fact that we may see that there's an error in it, it's to our advantage, not our disadvantage. You said that really as a director, if you come at a play assuming that it works, and the work that you do on it is different than if it's a play that you don't assume Absolutely. And you can stumble across. I mean, if you're good and if you're with a team that's good, then you stumble across where the problems you I think they're very different experiences. I've directed whole plays that I didn't think were that good. I can't remember now, but I remember years ago when I started directing, I thought they were okay, and I directed them very freely. And then in front of the audience, I sat back and said, oh, God, it's not my work that's making this work. This play is fabulous. I've directed other plays where I thought, this is a great play, and in front of an audience, there's a kind of a, a sponge that takes place. It just doesn't jump out. It absorbs. I've directed things in which I have known they weren't very good, and I've made them better by not having too much awe. And in this case, I had enormous awe. All of the rehearsal period in Buffalo, out of my mouth to all of these people, was constantly feeding them 
the kind of image that you would do if you were directing a classical Greek tragedy. And all of these people did everything they could to accommodate that. Only that's not what's there. Did that affect the design of the people? Well, there was a certain point at which we had an earlier idea about the design. We always wanted it something to embody the witness of the Well, I had had held up for and rather realistic I had wanted there to be a stranger quality to it, but perhaps the whole, both the room and the street and the penetrating light would make the whole stage space and the landscape somehow embody the play. Well, the play's not like that. The play has certain requirements, but it also has an abstract dimension. The abstract dimension that we tried to support was this feeling of need witness what went on. But there was a point at which we realized we had designed it not well, and that we needed to close it back down. And I want to take you in that direction very well. But yes, to a certain extent. But the first production that I did, I was very taken with all those off-the-air speeches, which talked quite portentously to the designers. I see ruins of things. I love rubble, you know. But that, it really, that really is ridiculous. I would like to address Jim's question from my point of view as a director, and that is all of my meetings with you, from my point of view certainly, uh, fed the design with the sense of tragedy in mind. And the reason why I wanted uh, almost more of an impressionistic abstract space, more than anything real, is because I think I was waiting the tragedy more than I was the individual drama that takes place. And in the two openings so far with the show, I've become much more fascinated by the people in the individual drama. If anything, one of the things I want to do in Albany is to deal more with who these particular people are in this particular situation, and, and much less interest. I mean, I'm not going to get rid of Alfieri, certainly, but I have taken the first speech already and cut five lines out. You've taken them off two lines? Right, right. The set does really reflect my initial interest in going with the tragedy. I don't think it's going to be a conflict, however, because we always worked on it in a very realistic way. It's, it's peculiarly it's peculiarly set up there are scenes in the house and scenes in the street. Then there are some other scenes, right? But you have to accommodate somehow. So that was a difficult thing to start. But I think that if we were to start again now for some reason and be able to design the whole show, I still would not want us to do a realistic project. Not just because that's a kind of project that we do. I still think that there's uh, an interesting abstract thing that provided by himself. Um, maybe just to be quite true to the way that we would understand that. We took it, however, to a larger, darker, more somber, abstract level, I think. I mean, we really were going for tension and iron. We have fire escapes and tension lines on a backdrop and all kinds of things. Purposely to go with the dramatic, the 
intention of the event. And I think some of that could be done. I, I, I think it's beautiful what we have. I'm not criticizing it. Just saying that part of what happens on a show like this is we redefine all of your images. You learn more about things. And I'm only halfway there. I haven't yet come up with what, hopefully, by the end of Rochester, will lead me to a conclusion. I'm still in process. Syracuse is a very uh, yeah. They they make everything funny. They just do. Now I think we were also when we opened, as I said, we were pushing in that house a little, which I think causes a little of that. But uh, uh, during the period when we weren't pushing, they would laugh. At they they thought it. They thought. No, no, they don't no. go that far. No. I think. No, no I'm sure. But in Syracuse, the Syracuse stage and Syracuse University is a much more formal space. And I think that they can train and have much more experience. Yeah. So, and so what kind of problems is that presented to you coming from either the artistic directors or the managing directors? You know, you have an audience that's uh, not going to be used to a serious tragic impulse. Well, I think the answer to that is that no matter what it is that I'm grappling with about this play, audiences really like this play, and they love all of these people. That's not been an issue. So the artistic directors and the managing directors have been, so far, very satisfied with this show. I'm the one who goes from one place to another, driving my cast and it's really crazy, so it's not yet working. And uh, But it's not that I've had any phone calls. I haven't. As a matter of fact, during the time I'm doing previews, the artistic directors, if and when they're there, have nothing to say to me other than, uh, I can't do so-and-so, you know, technical things, good things, I'm not saying they're bad, but they haven't really had the interest in this problem that I'm trying to work at. They're not as creatively involved. But it sounds like the They're happy. The audiences are happy. We've not had audience problems. The shows. I mean, I haven't been there except for the opening, so maybe my cast can tell me differently, but all of what I've seen, if I were going only by the cast, I wouldn't have ever opened my mouth. I mean, by the audience. I would say words. Say the show works. I have a difference between with Tony and maybe the other actors, and I'm really convinced that Buffalo, that there are certain things, and maybe we can't be consistent. I believe that most people can so indoctrinate that we can do that. I think a lot of that, I'm almost convinced, especially anything bordering uh, on real revelations of the spirit are being given a laugh because they're nervous. They have never seen these things before. They've clocked in four billion hours of TV for everything that's set up. And I'm forgetting Buffalo is the worst. And forget about it. I don't like playing. I don't like saying I'm not living in that set, but I love playing with kids. I can't stand it. Because when you got to do things like the kiss, you can't hear the next half hour of the day. You can't do it. They're just whooping and hollering. So anything out of real passion, a real gift, they gets a complete little laugh. They can't take it. 
they really can't. And I'm convinced that's what audiences all over, no matter where we go. Syracuse is better, but I still know it's the conservative. I think it's that kind of place that the play is more suited because Gideon is there. I really think there are revelations that try to make in this play a real, real passionate state. I mean, really tremendous. These people's souls are something. And a lot of them. And a lot of times, okay, you get that great night where everything, you know, but it's not that consistent. The audience comes in with some very uh, strange reactions. I've got line, laughs on lines where I say to Denise in the street, uh, why don't you like him? I got, I mean, forget about tragic lines, but he don't respect you. He gets a big Well, why should he respect you? Everybody's getting raped on TV. Everybody's assaulting each other every minute of the day, so why should anybody have respect for human beings? And I know, I'm convinced, my son Eric, I'm convinced it's because they've been brutalized. I'm convinced. You can't be brutalized for 50 years. And then all of a sudden you'll see a play and say, why do you stand No way. I'm not saying that's 100% of the audience. Of course, there's always that percentage that comes out that I hope feeling in the play. But I don't, I don't know what percent. I can't say that's hair. I can't say it's 60%. <laughs> all of us in the are, are optimistic that those, those people out there are going to come to see live theater. They're going to come because they want to see people working and alive and working, living people. That's true, too, but that's optimistic. I mean, what does that mean? They come because they want to see these people for six and a half hours. Of How could you? We could never. We had one small audience of kids once, and it was a very small audience, and they were good. But I think the only reason they were good, because you know what you get with, with, with when you play a school that the theater is jammed for the rest? You've got people fighting the other half of the audience. The people that really want, the kids that really want to listen, have to fight the others and demand their right to listen to the play. So while you're doing the play, you shut up, keep quiet. They have to fight to listen to the play. It's crazy time out there. And then you're acting. Well, now, these kids have been clocked. That's not going to change unless they Ted, unless they disconnect the two. You can't be indoctrinated like that. And they go see a play like Miller's. Yeah, this is possible. That's the most frustrating thing for me. That's why I asked about the crossing your face. I think it was a, a Gary. I However, what what happens in the view of the bridge is a unique problem. I mean, I agree with the fact that audiences have a unique problem today, not just because they watch television, but because they're trying not to dig deep into themselves. And anything that might begin to cause them to do that is going to frighten them. But in this particular play, a longshoreman who has professed throughout the whole show to be the most masculine guy in all of dramatic literature, in order to prove that something is wrong with Rodolfo, chooses to kiss him on the lips. And that is a problem for some of these people to witness. It's confusing because they don't know where all of a sudden such choices come from. And Miller has chosen a very, uh, he's chosen to make an action. And I can understand why Eddie does that, but I think what happens in the audience, some of the people can't deal with that moment. And I've got to find them, and I understand that it's probably going to be good. But we're getting close to 6 o'clock. Okay. Alex, do you want to do this again on something like this? Again?
No, I'm going to the priest. Michael is a priest. I don't know exactly what the set looks like, and I understand what you said about having done the realistic reading in the morning. So, excuse me, because I really don't know exactly what it's like. I'm just wondering if what you said about your own evolution of it not being a tragedy, do you think that the set in its present form raises an anticipation that now you would want to play simply to fulfill the character? I don't know that the answer is more realistic, but I do think, yes, yes, we created the world that went with the original concept in order to get all of the aspects of the show equally working. And I think what we would have to do is find out, first I haven't proven yet that what I'm saying is going to work any better, but if it really was going to work better, I would be curious then to tone down the spirit of the tragedy that goes with the feeling of the world is created. I'd give anything for a door. <laughs> <laughs> As you can tell, we have no doors. We have no doors. Yes, I think that that's a very good understanding, Brian, really. At least where my head is at at this point. Hugh has many more transformations on the show. And I think he's resisting, what I hear just now, the idea that a realistic would work simply because he's done that and maybe he didn't feel that it... Well, I think maybe he didn't feel that it particularly worked. It's, it's not that. It's that the, if you take the realistic requirements of the play and try to make design out of them, you've got real hash because of all the different locations. It's not so schematic that it can be just in their living room. That's the problem. You end up with a combination of the inevitable and when you put five realistic locations on stage, you've got something unrealistic, you know. So what do you do with that? I don't think that the set in the present form telegraphs tragedy. It is abstract. I have to be interested in that. And my interest, as I said before, what I hope to be able to is create a landscape where the two spaces are penetrated just as possible as it turns out, was to make something cleaner and more direct and to support the passion of the rather than its immediate detail, which is there. See, my problem is that when I first started with you on this particular set, I was primarily interested in the action that Eddie Carbone creates and how it affects the neighborhood who have to witness this betrayal, since they are all from one tradition, 2,000 years of Italian tradition in family and honor and all that sort of stuff, and that Eddie would betray that, I wanted those neighbors and their presence to be immediately there. And what caused us to get involved in, in opera was I first asked you to think in terms of creating a, 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 the apartment surrounded by the walls of varying buildings with the windows, so that with the extras I had to pick up in each community, I wouldn't have to do so much work in creating any acting. They could just part a curtain or open a window or look through the shades or whatever. And we would have that sense that they were witnessing. Because it was always to me, what attracted me to Miller's play was that Miller, unlike so many of our modern writers, first of all, was writing about a whole society. He wasn't just writing about a couple of people. Now that I have come, however, to this feeling that Miller hasn't fully succeeded for the reasons I gave, and unless I can find out how to succeed, I wouldn't program the witnessing as being more important than the action of the problem of the play. 
So it's that witnessing that has caused the abstract to be very important. And I'm questioning, and part of why I question that is because in each community I don't have that much time to deal with the experts. It's become the stage manager's task. She gets there ahead of me, and she now hires them, and then I get there and I try to do what I can, and in Syracuse, three of them, ten minutes before the first show, called in and said they couldn't make it anymore. <laughs> so that gives you a sample of some of the chore of touring a show like this. So right now, I don't want windows or fire escapes. I want to kill all of the neighborhood. <laughs> I want doors. Well, I've limited it to 12 extras, but the show, ideally speaking, should have 50. If you're really going to go with the tragedy, then it should be an entire society that hears and feels what Eddie has done. The residence should be that great. I can't yet know how to make that work. That's what's causing the problem. I, I read somewhere that originally it didn't have one of those people, and then when it was done in England, like, he was real key at it. Right. Yes. Miller really liked that. Miller told me, we had lunch in August, and Miller told me that uh, his favorite version was not all of what Brooke did, because he felt there was too much opera in the set in England. That the whole thing it was a whole brownstone or tenement when it opened, and then the whole front of it opened up, and the interior of the set was inside. And he said it was just mechanically, it was too busy and whatever. But the part he did love, because they had so many people in the company, was the feeling of the neighborhood. He said that because what he was trying to write was a play about, and he himself in August said to me, he wondered how this show would work on the road today where we were going, as to whether Eddie's problem would still affect, would affect the contemporary person. Would they understand why so many other people in the neighborhood were affected by what Eddie did? Was he talking about those places? Yeah, yeah. He loved the idea that this tour was taking place. I keep referring to it as a tour. This co-production was taking place and going to the people in those communities. That was exciting to him. Because naturally, he's old enough to remember how that originated when he first began to write, etc. But he was concerned as to whether people nowadays understand moral uh, betrayal and what it means to the rest of us as a society. We live at a time right now where in the news almost every day, our leaders, our boss, everybody is so corrupt, and no one seems to realize that it does affect the whole society. We just go on. It's given... You get the sports news, and then you get the corruption news, and then you get the lying, and then you get you know the weather, and then you meet six of the celebrities who have just finished doing some terrible movie in Hollywood in the last three years, and it's all equal. Well, that's what Miller was saying. That's not true in this play. Will this hold up or not? And so here we have the writer himself concerned about it. Now we have the director concerned about it, and we're trying to find out. Or people being confronted with a moral dilemma, not knowing how to deal with it. They have no moral dilemma, then. What's the moral dilemma? You can lie, cheat, steal, steal, guys, and look at what's, I mean, you just look at the wall. I mean, the whole, it's so corrupt. So how could you have a guy that has gone over to one of those, and out here said one of the things, you know, sometimes there's too much love, love, and he goes wrong, love, and glory. This man is basically a good man. He does have this. Innocent. He's an innocent. Eddie is the most innocent man. I've not a stupid man. He's just an innocent. He's a warm man. His real feelings are provided for the family. And then he says this thing. And he can't understand the sense of guilt. It's an innocent. 
How are people going to understand to say, well, well, she's going to get a job, she's going to move. What's the problem, Eddie? Well, today we send them to a psychiatrist, right? Eddie, you've got a problem. Go see the psychiatrist, man. That's it. So they don't quite understand it. They don't quite. That's my own particular tip. And I'm not saying 100% of the audience, of course not. I'm saying a, a percent. You're almost saying that people are years ago, as if they were watching Shakespeare and not understanding the time. No, what I mean is the values of whatever was 1940s. Yeah. Um, is as foreign to, you're saying, to 1980? No, 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 I'm not saying years. I'm saying the morality of the play. There's a moral issue. What play, have you seen the last 15 years, has a moral issue? Where is the morale? Where are the... But That's why he tried to make it. It's, it's a descendant of Greek drama. That's why he took that form. There's a morality. Well, There's I something what we have. You're saying, but the values of years ago were shared by more people. Those moral values were shared. Oh, by much more, of course. Now yeah, that everything is broken down. Well, I think this word innocence is really the key. One of the reasons why I said I think that they do laugh later on is that they've watched for the whole first act a man be this pure and this noble and innocent and really having cared for his wife and his niece for so many years through the struggle and whatever. And they can't understand why, and this is where I think the author has failed in the play, to understand how he went from that purity and innocence to the decline. We don't see Eddie struggle to get to the heights in Act Two. We see him really go to Alfieri for the second time and say, well, I brought you new information which is that she wants to marry a faggot. And I have proven that by kissing him on the lips in front of him, and he didn't know how to stop it. So therefore, now you must do something about this. The guy says, don't be ridiculous, Eddie. We can't do anything about anything like that. And Eddie says, nothing. He walks out, and there is this device on the stage, which is a telephone. Now, for years, I've always said to myself, why would Miller use a telephone on the stage once? The old theory of theater is you never build something like that that's so strong if you're not going to justify it. And so I have finally understood he did it because he didn't know how to solve the problem. We should, from that moment that he finds out from Alfieri that the world cannot help Eddie on this journey, we should be listening to Eddie for a good 10-minute scene someplace. I don't care if the whole set had to wash away in some way, and he was out there alone and just lights, and it was the interior of his mind and soul fighting not to call the immigration people. The scene should be about Eddie trying to do anything but. And then maybe you would stay with the issue of the play. But the fact that without any effort, he does the very thing he has told his niece in the first scene, never under any circumstances to do, is what confuses the audience. I, I think... Michael, as an actor, of course, is on stage, I'm not. And I realize that if a few people are laughing at the wrong time, it feels like 600. But believe me, it's only, I know the nights I've been there, he's been bothered by it. It's been a few people. The rest of them are trying very hard to stay with it. The problem is they can't because there isn't a scene there for them to follow and understand. So we're all, after all the work we put into the work, when it's over at the end of the evening, I think what we basically get is unrewarded. We have that feeling like it's an uphill battle. We're killing ourselves to make all this work. Something went wrong, the show is over, and we haven't solved the problem. But you don't I'm sorry, but we have to clear this Thank you all for sharing on Thank your you vacation. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
Thank you for listening to Masters of the Stage. This program was made possible by support from the Stage Directors and Choreographers Society, the National Labor Union celebrating five decades representing the needs and aspirations of its members.